Today on the show, we're extending our lifespans indefinitely mm -hmm. to keep doing this podcast forever. We would never leave you alone, dear listener. As the <laughs> eons go by, we'll always be together. Yes, we will. In your Until ears. like 300 years, and then I'm going to be like, oh, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired now. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> Fuck this podcast. I'm done. That's a bold <laughs> promise to make, considering I'm tired already. <laughs> Yeah, we're. It took Faradin two hundred years to get to where we got three years in. So, <laughs> welcome to Gom Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today on the show, mm. we're talking about Ganema. Hello. Hello, spoil of war, you little bundle of joy. Uh, Ganema Atreides, what a great character. Ganema Atreides. I can't wait. As usual, there's way more here than we expected. And we <laughs> yeah. can't wait to get into it. But yes. before we dive into the life of Ganema Atreides, Let's take care of some very quick housekeeping, folks. Right. Starting with... Yes. A spoiler warning. So, today's episode will contain spoilers all the way through the end of Children of Dune. So, before you listen, make sure you have read the first three books by Frank Herbert. Lucky for you, we have complete book club series for all three of those books going chapter by chapter, deep diving into those pages. So, if you haven't read them... Now's the perfect time to do so. Very true. Very true. And as always, a huge, huge shout out to our Quisats Hatterack level patrons, Case Aiken and Matthew Good. Oh. Gentlemen, were you on a 3,000 year journey, I would without hesitation oh. extend my life to live alongside you forever. Yes. Well, for. A long time. A, a long, long, long time. Long time. <laughs> Longer than probably you want. So this is kind of a blessing and a curse. Indeed. But for your generosity, we really appreciate it. We do. And for all of our patrons, what you do and how you support us makes what we do possible. So thank you so much. It does indeed. All right. So housekeeping out of the way, here's how today's episode will break down. Yes. We'll start by touching on what we know about those nine-ish years between Dune Messiah and Children of Dune from the moment she is born to the moment we meet her in the book. And then we'll talk about the years following Children of Dune. So we'll fast forward. We'll talk about adult Ganema and what the Dune Encyclopedia tells us about the rest of her life. And finally, we will wrap up by discussing her death and her lasting legacy within the Dune universe. Right. Before we dive into it, Let's take a quick break, but don't go anywhere, dear listener, because when we come back, we're diving into the life of Ganema Atreides. You're not going to want to miss this one. <laughs> yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Welcome back, everybody. Glad you stuck around. It would be weird to listen to just the intro and then the stop. <laughs> Let's talk about Ganema. Let's talk about Ganema's birth. Yes. So Ganema Atreides was born in the year 10,208 AG mm-hmm. in Sechtabur hey. on Arrakis. I know that. To her parents. Oh. Ever heard of him? Okay. Paul Atreides. Hello. And Shani Liet Kynes. Incredible. Ah, what parents. What parents, indeed. (laughs) Not a great start, though, because their birth, of course, as we know from Dune Messiah, came with the death of her mother. Yep. So her mother died. And also her mother was being fed a crazy amount of spice. So she was born with all of the trauma and all the knowledge of millions of past lives. Yes. Awful. (laughs) Not great. Not great. And right after her mother passes away, her dad kills a, you know, a Tleilaxu assassin and then fucking walks into the desert forever. Goodbye. So kind of orphaned. Yeah. Kind of immediately orphaned. Yeah, I would say so. I'd call that being orphaned immediately. Yeah. The very day you're born, you lose both your mother and your father, which is a tough way to start your life. And even in Children of Dune, when the preacher comes back, you don't want him as a dad. <laughs> Halfway through your birthday party, he pulls a severed human hand out of his bag, and he's like, this hand made the cake you eat today. And you're like, ew, dad, stop. Uh, I wish you stayed in dramatics. the desert, dad. <laughs> he Damn. throws glitter. He's like, I was not here for most of your life. <laughs> Did the glitter help that preacher? God. Uh that flair for theatrics, I think, is something Ganema <laughs> would not miss. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> well, luckily for her, she does have a father and mother figure in her life from day one. Because Stilgar and Hurrah step up to the plate. Mm. And they act as both Ganema and her twin brother Leto's surrogate parents for their early, early, early childhoods. Solid. Nice. And the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that in those early years, Ganema and Leto were already starting to toy with their abilities. They would play this right. quote-unquote possession game where they would act presumably in the voices and in the behaviors of their parents, of Chani and Paul. And eventually, as we know in Children of Dune, as their abilities grew and as Spice became part of the equation that became a much, much scarier prospect because that right, scary right. A-word abomination came into play. So what was a game in their childhoods was in reality a very dangerous game later on in life for them. Now, notably, these early games that they were playing laid the foundation for Ganema eventually learning to cooperate with Chani's other memory and ultimately figuring out how to stave off abomination for the rest of her life. Right, yeah. So the Dune Encyclopedia makes it very clear that Ganema was in full control of herself physically and mentally throughout her entire life, and she was successfully able to prevent abomination, at least the Bene Gesserit definition of the word. Right. And part of that was her mastery of working alongside her mother's other memory and her mastery of her... Right. Total. abilities through testing and as we know from children of dune the hypnotic state that she underwent <laughs> so looking at then the uh years in her life leading up to children of dune 
little sorry to say, the Dune Encyclopedia is quiet about those years. Right. Doesn't give us a ton. Yeah. I mean, it gives us a little bit, but not much. But looking at other individuals' entries, which only took like three hours. <laughs> I'm very impressed that you went this deep. The word Ganema appears on 57 pages. So I read quite a bit of the Dune Encyclopedia Amazing. this last couple of weeks. But we can kind of stitch together some understanding from other people's entries. Yeah, yeah. For instance, Hurrah's entry, right? Surrogate mother figure. We get more depth to the idea that Hurrah was that mother figure for the twins. Quote, with her Fremen background, her sagicity, and the weirding ways she had learned from Paul, she proved to be a match for the precocious twins. End quote. Ooh, I love that word precocious. That one yeah. word tells us so much about what like two, three, four-year-old Ganema was like yeah. and Leto was like, you know, hurrah had to keep up with these children. Also, I'm th imagining like, you know, like a chancla. No. It's like when you throw your like sandal, like when a mom like throws her sandal. Oh, uh, okay. So I imagine her doing that, but using like weirding techniques to like right. sandal like, the like, shit yeah. out of, <laughs> just to sandal the shit out of, uh, yeah. <laughs> of Ganema. Ganema's like, oh, you're a match for us. Right. Your... All the servants in the room are blinking because they can't keep up with what's happening. <laughs> it's and an anime fight. hurrah and the twins are like, you know, the sandals are flying faster than anyone can keep up. <laughs> Very true. She was a match for the twins in so many ways. I love it. Yeah. And then we get from Alia's entry. We actually learned that some of what we saw in Children of Dune, where she was sort of pressuring them to maybe try out spice trances yeah. and do like have prescient visions to help her out because she was missing the fact that Paul was a much more prescient person than she was. Right. She was apparently, she was pressuring them from like birth. Yeah. With their first nine years of their lives, she was like, trying to get them to try spice and to have prescient dreams mm -hmm. and visions but they obviously recognized the risks and didn't want to quote the twins lack of cooperation left their aunt puzzled annoyed and finally infuriated end quote yeah so it's obvious that tense relationship that we yeah. learn about in children of dune started many 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 years earlier and probably right. built up to a boiling point as we saw in the book itself. I also like to imagine that Hara's like getting the baby formula ready for like two-year-old Ganema. And <laughs> yeah. Ollie's just like, Hara, just a little bit of, let me just sprinkle a little bit of <laughs> spice on top of that, you know? Hara, weirding, slaps her with a <laughs> sandal. <laughs> a flip-flop. Ollie's like, fuck, you're so good at that. What the hell? You're a match for precocious me. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Now, from Irulan's entry, we learn that while Irulan wanted to help the children of Paul, who she had come to love, uh, naturally they weren't actually children. And Irulan's not always like 100% up to date on what's going on. Yeah. So Sweet, sweet Irulan. <laughs> sweet, often out of the loop Irulan. <laughs> uh, although she wanted to try to help them and be kind of a mother figure for them, uh, she wasn't really able to do much. So their childhood and this period of time for her, quote, marked a quiescent period for her, end quote. Yeah. So she tried and did not accomplish much. Yeah. And that's interesting. I think that even puts some of the interactions in Children of Dune in a slightly different light for me. Mm. Like it's clear that she plays a role in the twins' lives and that she loves right. them dearly. But yeah. 
Hara is the mother figure. Irulan doesn't step in as like the day-to-day mother figure for these kids, or at least based off what the Dune Encyclopedia is telling us here. She was perhaps sort of kept at arm's length, despite how much she wanted to be involved in their lives. Yeah, and if we even read between the lines, combining, so we know from Hara's entry that what made her a match for the twins as a mother figure was her Fremen background, her sagicity, and the weirding ways she learned from Paul. Right. So if we say, does Irulan have those? No, not necessarily. So what are the things that made her a good kind of surrogate mother figure? Maybe the, the twins just didn't respond well to Irulan because she's like a prim and proper Benny Gesserit, you know, right. adept. Right. And they're like, fuck out of here. We're Fremen. And was, like, that's exactly what I was yeah. going to say. Like, there's even a culture clash. Irulan's just right. not Fremen. They're being raised as Fremen in a siege. Like, yeah. of course, Stilgar and Hara are going to be able to culturally teach them the ways better than Irulan can. So Irulan's like, let's play. Oh, gosh. Oh, it's so dirty. It's so dirty. How, oh, where do I oh, sit? Good, On the oh, cushion? Goodness, gravy. Oh, that's close to the ground. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll make this work. They're like, oh, my God, this fucking woman. <laughs> <laughs> They're like covered in mud head to toe. <laughs> Holding scorpions. They're like, what? What do you want? We're busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you like diving deep into the encyclopedia and researching all of these other entries, because that's pretty much all we can glean from the encyclopedia. That's what we know about ages zero to nine for Ganema Atreides and also for Leto. We can pick up some details and connect some dots, but... We don't know much more about what their lives were like before the events of Children of Dune. Right. But then as we fast forward through the events of Children of Dune, <laughs> assuming we've all read, if you're still listening, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> a lot of things change naturally for Ganema and her brother. A lot of shit goes down in that book. Right. Notably, as we mentioned earlier, she is able to discover this long-term protection against abomination because of her right, right. memory suppression and the hypnotic state and working alongside her Chani other memory, Ganema is now able to stave off the thing that they are so afraid of throughout basically the whole book. They find the solution to the problem. Yeah. The other very notable event that takes place in Children of Dune when it comes to Ganema specifically is, of course, her introduction to Farad and Carino. Right. Who, as we will discuss shortly, goes on to become the father of her children and a loving life partner and someone who is extremely critical to the rest of her life. And yeah. their introduction, of course, happens in the book. And important to her, too. Like, important to her life and how it shapes out, but also just someone that she loves dearly. Yeah, personally. Yeah, definitely. Now, we do get a few details in the Dune Encyclopedia about her broadly in adulthood. Otherwise, the encyclopedia entry is all over the place. Like, I literally had to color code out what was being said because it's not linear. It's it's not in any sort of chronological, logical order of any kind. It, like, talks about her kids for a bit and then about this other complete thing and then her kids again and then something else. Every graph is, like, an entirely different (laughs) topic. And you're like, what the fuck? Oh, it was awful. So we're going to mostly talk about the kind of people in her life and how that reflects how she was kind of changing and how her life was being shaped by these people in her life. But talking about her, we do get a little bit about her, mostly from her daughter, Elaine. And Ganema as an adult is described as being uh, forever kind of 
slender, like wiry. She never became water fat, Mm -hmm. uh, even in the kind of comfort of being (laughs) the empress of the fucking universe. Uh, She always kind of kept her wiry, stringy kind of appearance. Yeah. But apparently with red hair and freckles, I... Is she a Weasley? <laughs> Has she been a Weasley this whole time? Jenny Weasley? Jenny Weasley. Uh, well, she had like wild hair. So Jenny Weasley mm. has a neat, Has very neat hair. hair. So kind of like Hermione's hair on a Weasley. Okay. That's I'm not, sure not I like what I was picturing. No. Um, no. Denny Villeneuve, uh, feel free to be creative with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> also, Frank doesn't dwell on appearances very much, but like right. the idea of... Duke Leto Atreides, Paul Atreides' father, is described as being dark-skinned. Uh, Jessica describes him as almost like Mediterranean, almost. Like, right. he looks like almost Greek. Right. And then Chani is a fucking is a, Fremen. Is a like Fremen. A, like, she's brown by all intents and purposes. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we have a Mediterranean son and Chani, a Fremen woman, giving birth to a red-haired, no. <laughs> freckled, blue-eyed it's just person. It's not possible, but... It's very strange. So feel free to ignore that detail, like I kind of will forever. But uh, yes, apparently she had red hair, uh, blue eyes, and freckles. She had a reasonable gaze and a warm dignity about her. Hmm. So people around her would be like, oh, she's warm. She's reasonable. She's very smart. She's very perceiving. Yeah. With this kind of palpable air of kindness and wisdom. Yeah. So. That feels spot on, freaking Emma. It does. Yeah. From what we see in Children of Dune, it feels so right. Yeah. Now, despite this warmth and kindness and this sort of air of dignity, she didn't really let a lot of people in. She didn't trust a lot of people. We learned that pretty much the two people, the two women that she fully trusted were Elaine, her daughter, and the other memory of Chani. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Which, (laughs) sure. But then I'm like, if your two confidants are your daughter, and a ghost? Your social circle's real small. (laughs) You are not. Very sixth sense of Chani to do that. Yeah, she's like, I see dead people, (laughs) and I pretty much only hang out with one of them uh, most of the time. Right. Her therapist is like, do you have any close friends that you can really... The dead ghost of my mother. How's that? Uh... Am I doing well? I feel like I'm doing well. Thank you for your time. (laughs) Okay. therapist is like no notes uh she's the empress right but actually on the topic of chani we're told quote the two women formed a coalition of support which lasted ganima's lifetime end quote yeah that's beautiful from those early years of the possession game to of course throughout everything we're about to talk about just bear in mind she has that sort of other memory chani there as like companion guide friend confidant it's not as good, I would argue, as a full-blown human. But, you know, you do what you, you, you do what you can with what you got. Yeah, for sure. And she's got other memories, so there you go. And, uh, you know, I would say as we get into the rest of Ganema's adulthood, something that we should keep in mind, sort of the through line of today's entire episode, is Ganema's trauma response. Yeah. A lot of her choices in life are in direct response to what she experiences in like the first 10 to 15 years of her life. Yeah. And especially during the events of Children of Dune. And I think this idea that she didn't trust many people and that she didn't really let anyone into her inner circle outside of 
her daughter and the literal ghost memory of her mother <laughs> yeah. is telling. That, yeah, to me, is agreed. very telling as far as what kind of trauma that Ganema is carrying with her through life. I mean, she also has the other memories of so, so, so many Benny Gesserit and hum humanity. Yeah. And so she, reading between the lines of later things that we'll talk about, she's a very practical person who recognizes the threats that exist and how untrustworthy some people turn out to be. Yeah. Doesn't use that naturally as an excuse to be mean to people, but is clearly cognizant of it and stays cognizant of it her whole life. Yeah, for sure. Well, okay, let's continue our discussion of her adulthood. And the way the rest of this section is going to go is we're going to break it down by relationship. Right. Her relationship with the people closest in her life. Again, as we said, the encyclopedia entry is a fucking mess. So there's no way we can translate that just by telling you what it says. We're going to translate it and interpret it through the lens of sort of organizing it by the people in her life who she loved and was with the most. Totally. And to start off, let's talk about this guy named Farad Carino. Yeah. Who, as we hinted earlier, becomes critical to Ganima's life. Right. He goes on to impact it in so many ways, both personal and professional. Right. The Dune Encyclopedia tells us that after her official sort of state wedding to Leto, because recall that Ganima and Leto are married to create the Pharaonic Empire. Right. Ganima and Faradin begin studying together. So his first role in her life is really just sort of tutor slash mentor figure. <laughs> yeah, because she's also like 10. She's 10. Yeah, she's a child still. And he's like in his late teens or early 20s. Right. So yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm very glad that they made this clear. They're like, started off studying. <laughs> I was like, good, 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 <laughs> good. Right. J just a mentor at the beginning. And he offered her a lot. The Dune Encyclopedia tells us that from him, she learned, quote, academic disciplines and gained a love of history and philosophy, arts and science, which would sustain her throughout her long life, end quote. Yeah. And yeah. we know for Rodden from the book itself, how much of a like fucking library book nerd he is and how <laughs> yeah. much he loves history and art. And, you know, he's yeah. that kind of person. Clearly, some of his passions also rubbed off on Ganema. And that's something the two of them would share for the rest of their lives together. Yeah, I also see this as like, Ganema and Leto have a very particular view of history. You could say that, yeah. <laughs> they are history. Yeah. They see it all from a first-hand perspective. So I see this as she's not learning to love history or whatever, because she already knows history. I think probably also because what we'll talk about is she does a lot of writing in her life. I suspect that she already loved history and she learned through Faradin how to love like storytelling and being a historian and like the mm. job of the historian. Interesting. Yeah. As opposed to the direct experiences of things, because again, how much could he teach her about history? Not a lot, but his experience and his focus has always been what do authors say about things? And I think that's probably something that she has less experience with mm. broadly. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I like that. I think I agree. She knows history. She can tap into it whenever <laughs> the fuck she wants. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really kind of fitting into the role of historian that Farad helps her with. Right. Well, as we know, eventually these two go on to 
become more than just mentor and students. They first become friends over the years, eventually lovers, and eventually parents together. They go on to have children. Yeah. And for all intents and purposes, it is a very loving, fulfilling partnership throughout their whole life. They're never officially married on the books. Sure. But for what it's worth, they are basically a couple and a loving one. Right. Despite all of that, they did have some differences, right? Every couple has some things they got to square about each other and make adjustments for. Right. Ganima and Hark Alada, as he became known later in life, as Leto dubbed him, also had to work through some things throughout their relationship and lives together. Right, right. The Dune Encyclopedia tells us that apparently one of those things, for example, was they established separate sleeping quarters. And this wasn't malicious or anything. It was simply they came from different walks of life and couldn't figure out like the correct vibes for the bedroom. Yeah. Ganema was very much used to siege life, while Hark Alada was like really used to living in palaces and shit because he's royalty. He's yeah. Carino royalty. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. in her memoirs, Ganema actually wrote about this. She writes, quote, Poor Faradin gets claustrophobia among my rugs and pillows, and he says the incense makes him sneeze. On the other hand, I think his old furniture with its wood and glass and its prickly embroideries is cold and sterile. It's like being in a museum. End quote. I love that. I mean, beyond <laughs> just getting something in Ganima's voice. Yeah. It's so relatable. You know, when you're in like a very different vibe, you go to a friend's house and it's like a very modern apartment or you're, you know, or you go to someone's house and it's like very homey and warm. Yeah. It's like very yeah. different vibes. And then you try to imagine splitting a bedroom down the middle. It's like we got scorpions on that side and like <laughs> futuristic lava lamps on that side. It's like very different. Right, right. They'd have to literally do like a duct tape line down the middle, you know, like your shit on that side, my shit on this side. She's got incense. He has like three fans pointed toward her side to just blow the incense <laughs> smoke back. Right, right. <laughs> So the bedroom is one thing they could never square, the correct vibes for the home. Yeah. And so, yeah, for the entirety of their lives, they had separate sleeping quarters that they were most comfortable in. And this was something they were perfectly okay with. Totally. They figured yeah. it out together and it never hurt their relationship. Totally. Yeah. Also, my parents had different bedrooms. Yeah. And it's like, it's just some some couples find it works best. Totally. Hell yeah. Totally. More my power parents, to you. I, I don't ever remember my parents ever sleeping in the same room. Oh, really? Same? Yeah. Hey, I always slept in separate rooms. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Dune Encyclopedia does mention that like they had shared study rooms, like all of the other rooms were like joining those two right, bed chambers. Right. So Yeah. There's also a quip in there about like there was definitely a fuck room. <laughs> so that you know yeah. they didn't just have kids yeah. without fucking. That's not how that works, folks. Yeah. Speaking of fucking, let's talk about their exploration <laughs> of the arts. <laughs> Ganima and Harkalada. Uh, began supporting various poets, musicians, and artists, etc. They loved those things. They were studying those things. But also, they're living contemporaneously with artists and musicians and poets. And they start going out and knowing them. And yeah. then becoming patrons of them. Right. Subscribing to their Patreons. Right. And, you know, <laughs> tweeting about whatever artworks they've been doing. You know, <laughs> buying their merch. You know, they're they're doing the thing. Exactly. So much so. They subscribe to so many Patreon uh -huh, accounts uh -huh. that they literally created an artistic renaissance within Leto's empire. Amazing. So kicking off this empire with an artistic renaissance yeah. because of this uh, royal duo, basically. Yeah. yeah. And actually, 
In the year 10,278 AG, they discovered the playwright Hark Al-Harba, a.k.a. the Shakespeare of the Dune universe. Right. And became his patrons for life. Damn. Also, he was around. Like, they would, like, bring him to the palace and have him... He refused to stay with them, but, like, they became very close with him. Right. And I remember we did our Hark Al-Harba episode way before talking about Children of Dune, so we couldn't really talk about Ganima and Hark Al-Ada and their role in his life. Right. But he's really interesting, and we have a full episode on him. If you're curious and you hadn't, haven't heard it, it's really fun. Yeah, check it out. He had, like, a restaurant in Arcane, right? He was a busy guy. We also learn, by the way, as an amusing little aside here, we learn that the great playwright even, quote, occasionally let the royal children play walk-on parts, much to their delight, end quote. Amazing. In his plays. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know if that was like he wanted them to or if he was bullied into it by Ganima and right. Park Elada, but like... Yeah, I mean, I mean, this feels like a... When these people are like entirely funding your plays and giving, throwing like millions of credits at you. Yeah. It's like, fuck, yeah, your twerp can be in the background for like a scene. <laughs> yeah. You just do Elaine, it. <laughs> Elaine's a tree in the background. <laughs> right. And it's just like, don't move. Don't, I didn't tell you to move. Just trees are still, Elaine. <laughs> yeah. Th this is a fun aside that we learned. Like they were truly part of this renaissance early on in Leita's empire and they supported incredible artists like Hark El Harba. And that's that's fun to see. I mean, this is a passion that the two of them shared, Ganima and Faradin, through their entire lives. Right. And they put their literal royal money where their mouth is. Absolutely. You love to see it. You love to see it. And kind of summarizing this point before we move on to talking about their children, the Dune Encyclopedia kind of summed everything up really nicely. Quote, with Alada, she shared the children, their mutual work, and a highly satisfactory relationship as friends and lovers, end quote. Wow. Which is fucking awesome. Goals. You love to see it. Yeah. I feel like that happens so rarely to our characters in Dune. <laughs> yeah. It's a healthy, awesome, <laughs> balanced relationship. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. You love to hear it. I'm so happy for Kanima. Yeah. She deserves it. She deserves the world. Ugh. I love her. Now, of course, family played a huge role in both of their yes. lives. So let's talk a little bit about Ganima and her children more specifically. Yeah. So together with Alada, Ganima had 10 total children yeah. across their lifespans. Five sons and five daughters. That divide makes me very happy. Yeah, it might have been intentional. I mean, <laughs> it honestly. It could have been intentional, right. Recall that she ha she has Benny Desert abilities. So. And this is also kicking off the breeding program. So maybe she's right. like... We need balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, Alada and Ganima both poured a tremendous amount of their time and energy and love into their kids. Yeah. The Dune Encyclopedia goes out of its way to point out, quote, for aristocrats, Ganima and Alada lived an unusual family life. They spent a considerable amount of time with their children, end quote. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I almost get the sense, like, no nannies, no daycare, no, like, they are in their children's lives day in and day out, part of the schooling, helping them do homework every day. Like, I expect royalty, to some extent, always has, like, retainers and, like, a hundred-person staff to help with the kids and stuff and taking them to daycare right. and taking them to soccer practice. Yeah. Ganima and Alada were in it, in the trenches, as parents for all ten of their kids. Yeah, I mean, look at their fucking childhoods. Like, Ganima 
was raised by like royal attendants yep, of right. her aunt's throne. Yeah. And Faradin, one of his best friends was Tykenik, the like <laughs> Sardaukar commander. <laughs> right. Right. When you're like BFF is the commander of the army of your like royal house. Yeah. Fucked up. That's not that's a fucked up childhood. And then your mother, when Sissia was like super weirdly controlling and fucking, yeah, totally, terrible childhoods. Totally. Yeah, this again, speaking of trauma response, not only yeah, for Ganema, yeah. but also for Faradin, both of them had fucked up childhoods, bluntly speaking. And you can see them doing the exact inverse with their own kids, creating that family structure for their kids, right. being part of their kids' lives day in and day out providing that love and support and safe haven. The thing that the two of them, frankly, never had growing up right. just because of who they were and the political machinations of other people around them. Totally, yeah. Now, specifically talking about the children, we do have names for all 10 of the children. So very quickly, the boys were Trevor, Lewis, Rigor, Tessimanis, and Boris. Nice. And then we have the girls, Eleanor, Helen, Elaine, June, and Nori. Yeah. And, you know, despite the fact that younger siblings are always, you know, more interesting, Abu. Uh-huh. Hard disagree, but I'm not. I mean, listen, <laughs> it's so funny. I, I was talking to someone recently about how, like, I'm a younger sibling and you're an older sibling and how it's an interesting dynamic it as co-producers. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The inclination to be like, team younger sibling. And you're like, fuck younger siblings. <laughs> it's like, it's wrong. Yeah, it's a funny dynamic. Like, I very much have this, like, Kendall Roy, I am the oldest boy energy about me. <laughs> um, yeah. But that, you know, that says a lot about my family life and how I was raised. I mean, okay. Kendall Roy, oldest boy. Abu Zafar, oldest boy. Yeah. Let's talk about the oldest boy. Let's talk yes. about Trevor. Let's do it. So the Dune Encyclopedia <laughs> has some stuff to say about Trevor, and it's really interesting. So let, let's talk about it. Yeah. For once, it's interesting to talk about the oldest sibling. For once, it's so weird. So strange. Not so, normal. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Very weird. Unusual. So Trevor, <laughs> uh-huh. as most oldest siblings are, amazing kid. Everyone know. loved this guy. Sounds weird. He was Sounds cute. wrong to me. <laughs> he was adorable. He was smart. Everyone loved him. Got along with the whole family. Freak out. And, <laughs> and Ganima and Harkalada fawned over this kid right he's their first child he's the eldest everyone loves the eldest they yeah. loved him because they hadn't met the younger ones yet <laughs> they hadn't realized how shitty <laughs> and even his uncle leto too the god emperor ever heard of him yeah loved trevor yeah and we can really see how much ganima adored her firstborn from her writings yeah for example this is what she wrote about him quote we couldn't believe we had produced this silly, darling little boy. Faradin and I probably spoiled that child. We had so much more time to give to him than we did to the other children who followed. But to this day, I can still see his beaming face as his chubby little legs hurried to keep up with his father's long strides. End quote. Look, Faradin's literally walking away from him. <laughs> because he knows he's got better things on the way. The younger children. <laughs> Fran's like, let me walk back to my loving wife or my loving partner away from this fucking chubby cherub. Yeah. Because I, I think you're maybe reading into the wrong part of that quote. Because what I picked up is just the amount of love dripping 
And also, Ganeem is wiry, and she called him chubby. She's like, ew, <laughs> water fat off-worlder. <laughs> it's terrible. Really stretching We there. couldn't believe the fucking travesty that Trevor was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it said. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, no, it is beautiful. It you is. can just really tell is. that yeah. Ganema loves this child. She's talking about him in just the most endearing ways silly darling little boy chubby little legs yeah yeah they spoiled him they loved him they fawned over him trevor was dope and what's also cool is that trevor was and remained leto 2's favorite among all his niece and nephews yeah so much so that trevor later in life became the first atreides steward to the god emperor he got an official Mm. posting yeah. To work alongside his uncle. Yeah. And he was the first of what would eventually be a long line of Atreides stewards. But he got that honor first. So you're saying you're like pro-nepotism. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Typical older sibling. Just uh-huh. super into... Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm also saying I'm pro-winning. And it sounds like Trevor <laughs> won, as most oldest siblings do, and as they should. Yeah, okay. Yeah, winning. You call it that. I call it, you know, nepotism, but it's fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, all of their kids, especially the better, younger ones, (laughs) enjoyed (laughs) a very balanced childhood. And we learn a little bit about their kind of broader upbringing, which I, again, just find endlessly fascinating to like learn about the lives and the kind of the choices these parents are making for their kids. Yeah. And it's both serious work, serious academics, serious studying, but also evenings of recreation. So in addition to studying in academics, they were taught, all of them, prana bendu control, which is fucking cool. Yeah, hell yeah. That's super cool. Uh, And then separating by genders, I guess, the sons got weapon training and the daughters got uh, weirding combat training. Right, hand-to-hand. Yeah, the sons got swords, knives, daughters, hand-to-hand, unarmed. Mostly because Ganema was a little worried that these like children of the Empress would be targeted for assassinations and she wanted them to be able to protect themselves. Yeah, totally. Now, speaking again about the trauma response, thinking about the fact that Ganema in the first nine years of her life had like three assassination attempts Mm -hmm. uh, starting the moment she was born. She was like born into an assassination attempt. She had a guy with a knife over her as she's fully aware and like a little chubby baby body. Yep. Uh, yeah. This makes sense. Yeah. Maybe she's, maybe she's still a little like, what can I do for these kids? How can I prepare them for whatever might come at them? Yeah, totally. Now the focus on martial arts and academics and all of the other topics that the kids were studying were balanced by additional focuses on quote, various creative talents and skills okay end quote and apparently the family would have evenings of music and drama wow a family music night <laughs> karaoke night with the 10 oh my kids. god you could have a choir with that many children you could you could put on a whole play a whole play and in fact i think they had hark Arba <laughs> write them something that they could Point is, what a cute fucking family. This sounds 10 out of 10, wholesome, lovely, super, super cool. Totally. All right, so that wraps up Ganema's relationship with 
her family with Hargalada and her children. Next, we're going to talk about her relationship with Irulan and Leto. But before we get into it, let's take a quick breather. Let's take a break. Yes. Don't go anywhere, listener. We'll be right back. Mm. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the break. We're going to quiz you on those 10 names later. <laughs> Let's talk about Ganema and Irulan and fucking buckle up because yeah. this is wild. <laughs> yeah, this is a roller coaster for sure. This is a roller coaster. Irulan went from the slightly useless but well intentioned stepmother, mother by marriage, uh, to a lot more. Uh, at some point. Yeah. So let's let's talk about it. Ganima's relationship with Irulan was definitely not like a steady trend, right? Yeah. Early on, pretty good, generally good relationship. Irulan was trying to be a mother figure, failing, but like well-intentioned, and they were on relatively good terms. We've talked about how Ganima became very close with Chani's other memory, and how Chani was this like lifelong companion for Ganima. Note, the role that Irulan played in Chani's life, uh, not great. Poisoning Chani. The word poison should ring a bell. Poison. For those of us that have read Dune Messiah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking wild. Just yep. really rough shit. And as Ganima became closer with her other memory, Chani, y you can imagine how that poison thing probably didn't bring her and Irulan closer together. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. But... After her union with Elida, Ghani and Irulan were pretty much on good terms for about 20 years. Right. Which is great. Yeah. I, I sort of read it yeah. as like a, you don't bother me, I don't bother you, but yeah. we're going to keep the peace. Yeah. And, and you know, she didn't really fully trust Irulan because, again, the whole Wincisia, Tiger, Carino plot, <laughs> like Benny Jesuit, <laughs> all of that yeah. shit that happened in Children of Dune. She didn't really yeah. trust her fully and was still a little hesitant about Irulan's ongoing connection with the Bene Gesserit. Right. But she kept her relatively close. Like, Irulan was with them not in the same residence. Uh, she had living quarters separate from the family. And she also forbid her from tutoring their children. Right. You know, again, like, hey, you're great. You are not teaching my children, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah, no yeah, hard yeah. feelings. Just Fair. don't want you involved. Right. You had a hand in killing my mother. Don't get near my kids. <laughs> is a very valid thing to say. Yeah. And Irulan would join them for dinner and would like, they would go together on picnics to Siege Tabur. But still, it was like arms, arms distance is the way to think about it. Right, right, for sure. 
Then it took a turn. <laughs> then yeah. it got weird. Uh, and this is the part where you're going to want to buckle up. Yes, check your if buckles. If you're in the car, you should already be buckled, dear listener. Yeah, but what the fuck? Are you're... you driving without your seatbelt? <laughs> Buckle up right now. Put, put your goddamn seatbelt on. And if you're not in a car, get in a car and put it's the seatbelt on. Someone else's car is fine. Just any car. Yeah, click it or ticket, motherfucker. Click it or ticket. Were you not paying attention when the flight attendant did the thing with the buckle? Buckle up either way. Find a buckle, buckle up. Because this is where yeah. things get very, very weird between Irulan and Ganema. So... Right. The Dune Encyclopedia explains that at what point Irlan attempts to seduce Ganema's first glorious son, Trevor, who we talked about earlier, who everyone loved. Yeah, yeah. he's kind of mid. <laughs> when he was 16 years old. Oh, that's, that's awful. 16-year-old <laughs> Trevor and Irlan attempts to seduce him. Irlan, what the fuck? Irlan. That's absolutely fucked up. And obviously, this just absolutely sets Ganema off. She fucking blows up. And that reflects in her writing as well. I mean, the scathing tone of her writing here speaks for itself. Quote, She must be getting senile. She has just gone through one of her violent rejuvenation periods, and she seems determined at her age to finally lose her virginity. End quote. Oh, Recall that Irulan <laughs> is a virgin for her entire life. Yeah. And... <laughs> Faradin and Ganema even take steps to, like, remedy this fucked up situation. They move Irulan's quarters even further away in the palace. And they try to distract her by giving her a fancy title and job. They make her the director of the Atreides archives. Quote, That should satisfy her desires for creativity. She can churn out some more stories for idiots about her beloved Muad'Dib, who wouldn't <laughs> stay in a private room with her for more than five minutes. <laughs> End quote. Oh my God! Also, beloved in quotes. Her right, right. Beloved, beloved Muad'Dib. Muad'Dib. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Oh my God. Ganima's tone here is absolutely savage, and yeah. I'm with her, rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> like she has every right to be like, "What the fuck are you doing, Irulan?" Yeah. And it's it's incredible. Uh, I mean, the tone of her writing and the steps they take to like divert. Irulan's energies away from a 16-year-old child. It's a very weird moment in Atreides history <laughs> and a tough look for Irulan at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Ganima goes on to say something like, I'm sure I'll be more compassionate when I've calmed down, but like, for now, fuck her. Fuck <laughs> like, her stay indeed. away from my kids. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, I don't, it's like, I don't know what part of you're not allowed to tutor them was an invitation to try to seduce them. Yeah. Yeah, for real. You daft woman. <laughs> anyway, so savage stuff, rightfully so, indeed. And shortly thereafter, perhaps because of the <laughs> elephant in the room, Irulan retired to Wallach 9 in the year 10,249 AG to continue her work on the Atreides archives. And uh, because of that, and maybe thanks to her leaving and kind of retiring, uh, Ganima and Alada were like, Okay, good. Right. She's out of Fuck, our hair. She's finally gone. She's gone. I will say, I've got some headcanon to share with y'all. Tinfoil hat time. Do tell. I think Irulan wanted to return to Wallach 9, but was in iffy standing with the Bene Gesserit because mm. she just spent <laughs> so many years very much cooperating with Leto and Ganema and earlier Paul. I think she was in iffy standing with the Bene Gesserit. 
So my theory is that she's like, hey, can I come live at Wallach 9 with my Bene Gesserit sisters and like, you know, continue my being a historian and a yeah. writer? Yeah. And they were like, you can, but only if you try to get some genetics from the Quisatz Hatterach line. And if you make a good attempt, it can be hard because, you know, the God Emperor is the God Emperor. But give it a go. And then, you know, worst case scenario, you can always come back here. Yeah, sure. interesting. I like that. I like that theory. It justifies this, like, extremely erratic, out-of-character choice from Airline, right? Yeah. Never has she ever indicated that this is something she would do in any of the books or even in the Dune Encyclopedia at any point. And so for this to sort of come out of left field... I really like your headcanon. It justifies why she would do this. It feels like a desperate ploy to get in the good graces of the sisterhood, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just legitimately don't buy it where you're like, Irulan was happy as a virgin for 70 years and then was suddenly so horny, she tried to seduce her, like, surrogate daughter's right. son. And why specifically Trevor? You know, like, if she was horny, yeah. I'm sure she had the pick of the litter. She's still royalty. Yeah. Why specifically Trevor, the eldest son? Yeah. You the know? eldest son of the Yeah, yeah, exactly. I Yeah. And also I think Leto made clear this is like his breeding program is the beginning of that. So maybe the Benny Jesuit wanted to like get, get in their it, idea. get in on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I, I, so I agree. I think anyway. reading between the lines you're spot on. There there's more here than meets the eye. It's not just Irlan being old and crazy and senile. <sighs> okay. All right. We got through that. We got to move, from, move <laughs> that, on from that. That, <laughs> that speed bump. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Ganima and Leto. Yeah. The other twin. That's right. That's right. So as we know from Children of Dune itself, Ganima and Leto are extremely close. And they always have right. been. They are two very unique humans in the Dune universe. And really only the other can understand what they're going through. Right. But the Dune Encyclopedia gives us a little bit of extra context to their relationship, especially after Children of Dune. We're told that in Leto's journals, he refers to their relationship as a, quote, timeless web of closeness, mm. end quote. Yeah. And for the early years of his transformation, Ganema was really the only one that could truly give him the love and compassion that he so desperately craved right as he right, began to right. lose his humanity and undergo this transformation to worm boy and then worm man <laughs> he craved the humanity that he was slowly losing and i think ganema was really the only person in his life who could not only understand what he was going through to some extent but then also give him that connection to humanity that he was so lacking right and elaine ganema's daughter actually wrote about this as well. She says about the twins, quote, the two of them would sit like statues in the darkness, quietly talking in their secret languages. In the morning, mother would be emotionally exhausted, end quote. Yeah. So they're really having deep talks. They're still very connected. And I like the idea that they're still committing to using their secret languages and that these conversations are flipping through like French, Italian, German on a whim. <laughs> Pig Latin. <laughs> ancient mysterious tongue <laughs> of pig latin <laughs> pig latin yeah. i hope that makes it into the film adaptation the the, the benny jesuit scholars are like trying to translate like, it's uncrackable <laughs> we have no idea what they're saying the strongest cipher we've ever come across <laughs> so from kanima's writings we do actually 
get sort of an inside look at why these conversations with her twin brother were so emotionally exhausting for her. Ganema writes that, quote, Never once have I envied Leto's position of power. With that power comes so much agony, so much pain, and the complete annihilation of his basic human body. As we talked night after night, I realized that he would have to make the sacrifice. I felt so weak, such a coward, but the thought of that grossness overpowered me, and I had to volunteer to breed rather than to lead. End quote. Yeah, wow. Much like Paul, Ganema has chosen the alternate path. Yeah. She cannot conceive of making the sacrifices that Leto has made, physically, emotionally. Yeah, you know, it. we have so many reasons to think during Children of Dune that, like, this is only open. This option of the golden path and the whole, the worm, worm transformation is only open to Leto. Yeah. Like, that Leto's got that secret sauce that's going to get it done. But here we see... That it's even kind of a thing that Ganema could have done, if not for the fact that she just can't bring herself to do it. Like she's got the same right. as you're saying. The thought of grossness. Yeah. So she has. She's like, what's the alternative to that? Well, if I believe in the golden path, and we read that she believes in the golden path, right? Even toward the end of her life, she's like, well, to save humanity, it's either the transformation that Leto is going through, or it's breeding, or it's like right. helping to push the needle and bring humanity closer to something that'll survive the long run. Yeah. So it's really interesting to think about her having to wrestle with that choice because we don't really see that in children of Dune, but it stands to reason that she would also have a kind of sense of what that would be. And yeah, she could have also, now that they know how it works, she could have done it, Yeah. but she just can't bring herself to do it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Those, that's really powerful. The story of children of Dune could have been flipped. Leto could have, gone through the hypnotic trance and Ganema could have been the one to go to Jakarutu and undergo the transformation. Right. They both have the right mix of genes and abilities. Yeah. Right. It's just who's going to make that sacrifice and Leto's the one who does it. Yeah. I mean, Leto has some prescient dreams before she does. So there's like that argument that maybe he's a little bit better equipped for it. But even so, once they know, oh, you just push yourself to this very fine line of like spice saturation in your blood. And then you do a, a sand trout suit. <laughs> yeah. We know that works now. They could have done it again. So you're right. It could have been flipped or even she could have joined them. They could have been wormy twins. Right. Right. But she just can't bring herself to do it. Yeah. Understandably. I don't fucking want to do that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. All right, so as we wrap up our discussion about Ganema's later years and her life after Children of Dune and into adulthood and into parenthood, there's this beautiful poem that we wanted to share from the Dune Encyclopedia talking about the two most important men in her life, one right. obviously being her twin brother Leto and the other obviously being the father of her children and her lover and confidant, Harkel slash Faradhan. Right. So here's the poem. Quote, Love eternal, twice have I, the first a sturdy ship afloat across the tides of time, the second a fragile passion flower whose essence never dies, both golden, precious. One will richness to the other bring, between the two drift I, forever love lies in remembering. End quote. That's really beautiful, yeah. Yeah. 
And I like that she describes Faradin as a fragile passion flower. That I, that is how I too would describe him. Someone challenged me to a fight, but I was more interested in reading books, so I went home. <laughs> right, they offered flower. me the throne, but I just had to finish this chapter, so I I missed the throne meeting. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> oh, Faradin, we love him. We love him. So that's her life. Let's talk about her death briefly. Yes. And to talk about Gunima's death and how that came about, we do have to touch on an aspect of her life that we haven't talked about as much right now, which is the rejuvenation technique, the Bene Gesserit rejuvenation technique that she and Faradin were both using. And all of this actually goes back to Leto had already taken this step toward basically immortality. Like he was looking at about 4,000 years of lifetime. Yeah. And even with the geriatric qualities of the spice, people are like topping off at 200 years, you know, lifespans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Ganima was like, I want to keep my brother company. I want to keep Leto company as long as possible. She's the only one who can show him love and compassion. She's the only one who can understand what he's going through. And she understands the golden path. Right. So how do, how do I make that as easy for him as possible? However I can. Right. And for her, that means using that kind of forbidden Bene Gesserit technique of just slowing down or even fully stopping cellular degradation. Yeah. So that you're just always young. And it's something that Alia was doing in Children of Dune as well. Yes. Yep. And she also convinced Hark Alada to join her and extend his life as well. Right. So they lived far beyond their natural limits. And at the age of about 219 years old, and it wasn't easy, like this wasn't a, a lovely time, Hark Alada wrote that he was frankly too tired to continue living. Yeah. He had seen too much life. He had seen too much. So he kind of released the technique and he accepted a sort of natural death. Right. Now, his passing, Hark Alada's passing, clearly hit Ganima really, really, really hard. She had a really hard time of it. But for Leto's sake, she continued living another hundred years. Wow. After Harkelada's death. Yeah. You know, we talk about like husbands and wives in their 80s, you know, and one passes and shortly thereafter the other passes. This is not that. No. (laughs) This is one passing and the other one going, let's do another century. Buckle up. (sighs) Buckle up. Yeah. Another century. Definitely. She makes it a whole other century. Yeah. But ultimately the time for her comes as well indeed because in 10516 ag at 308 years old <sighs> spring chicken <laughs> spring chicken ganima atreides right. finally allows herself to pass from this world she also decides that she's tired she's had enough and it's time for her to move on and her memoirs from this time give us a glimpse into how she came to this decision for example, she writes, quote, The world around me has become Leto's creation, and I am no longer a necessary part of it. End quote. Yeah. Very telling. She also writes that they just had less and less to talk about as the years went by, her and Leto. Those long, chatty nights became less and less frequent, and he started to sort of become more and more detached from his humanity and colder about his aims and getting the golden path on track. And she was just having a harder time relating to him as he lost his humanity. He was no longer 
the brother that she had known for centuries. Right. And this final memoir from her actually ends on a final note about her other memory Chani and how that Chani had kept her company all those years, 308 years. Quote, I will now discover what my mother already knows, what it feels like to be submerged in someone else's consciousness. That part is a bit frightening, but it will be better than my present life. End quote. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. Heavy stuff. <laughs> Death or whatever chaos and terrifying thing is ahead of me is better than what I'm currently going through. Is so. Yeah. And you can really, again, I think Ganema's writing, the tone of the writing is so telling. She sounds very tired here. Yeah. I'm no longer a necessary part of this world. This is Leto's world and we're all living in it. Whatever happens next will be better than my present life. She is tired. Yeah. And no longer feels that there's a place for her here. And there's no point in dragging this out any longer. And so she doesn't. She also mentions like Leto was feeling less and less like Leto, like more feeling more cold about the golden path and totally. feeling more like calculated and his plans all centered around death. And how is that okay? And it, it's like compounding just the literal centuries of life. I think it's watching this person that she loved and knew better than anybody in the world. Right. Become not himself. Right. She was living long enough to see him become the villain. Yeah, and she's seeing her grandchildren have their own children. It's just generations on generations. It's, yeah. Totally. So totally understandable and uh, beautiful. And that's what led to her death. Now, the only thing left to talk about in today's episode is her legacy. Yeah. Is kind of the thing that she left behind. And we'll touch on a few facets of her legacy. And I did want to point out how much it hurt Leto to lose her although he was colder mm -hmm. about the golden path and mm -hmm. maybe not so much himself anymore. He wrote about her uh, after her passing quote, you will be a part of me always. We will live together in a closeness. No other two can ever feel, but I do long for one more glimpse of those steady blue eyes in your sweet, tender face. Sleep well, my beloved <sighs> end quote. And man, the it's very it's relatable it's like you know when you lose someone in your life there's always that feeling of just one more time would be great right just one more glimpse yeah would be really wonderful yeah so beautiful really 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 sad yeah and and, and we've talked about this on the podcast before yeah. but in many ways ganima was leto's heart and soul yeah ganima was his connection to humanity his connection to his old life and now that is severed. And so Leto is not only dealing with the grief of losing a loved one, of losing a sister, of losing someone who truly understood him. Right. But also is now facing thousands of more years without her and thousands of more years without that grounding effect of having her around. And so there's many layers to his grief, I think, here. And... That quote really got to me because it encapsulates a lot of those ideas. Yeah, very much so. So let's talk about her works, her writing. Yeah. Because she spent her whole life writing, and some of these are pretty incredible. Some of these things that she left behind that she wrote are like galaxy-shifting historical documents, yeah, basically. For sure. Perhaps some of the most important first-hand accounts of the early years of Leto's empire. Right. 
from the inside, yeah. from the the inner workings of his courts. From beside the throne. Mm -hmm. So let's touch on some of the more notable writings, starting with something called The Book of Voices by Ganema Atreides. Yeah. Now, The Book of Voices is a history of the Bene Gesserit created in collaboration with Ganema's other memories, which is so fascinating to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. She went to the fucking source, firsthand accounts. And the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that this work was a collection of Shigawire voice patterns created by Ganema channeling those past voices through her. Yeah. And in total, there were over 2,400 voices recorded for this collection, which is absolutely massive. And it took Ganema over 200 years to complete the Book of Voices, to collect all 2,400 samples and write this complete history of the Bene Gesserit by tapping into her own other memories. It's really fascinating stuff. 200 years really puts the last two books of Game of Thrones in context, doesn't it? <laughs> It's all relative. Yeah. Like, stop writing other movies and write. He's like, I've got 100, 100 years. Right. 100 years ago. He's to got go. time. Yeah. He's, on the scale of Ganema Atreides, George R. R. Martin has plenty of time. Now, of course, this book of voices was created by tapping into her other memories. And so what's interesting is that many of the voices included are in languages that are so ancient that... Even the modern-day in-universe historians who are writing the encyclopedia, quote-unquote, have not been able to fully translate it. So the Book of Voices, all these millennia later, has not actually fully been translated. And only the languages that they can interpret are the entries that they've been able to figure out. Really interesting. And it gives you a sense of just the breadth of history that lives just inside Ganema's mind. Or just inside Leto's mind. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Now, next up, we have the Book of Ganema. And the Book of Ganema starts a pattern we'll see with this and the next work as well, which is this was initially thought to be written by Leto, mm. but later analysis indicated that this is basically written by Ganema in a large part. There's three volumes. The second volume was written by Elaine, her daughter, right. and superior, younger child. And <laughs> the uh, third volume was written by Leto, who I have no opinion on regarding his sibling because <laughs> they're twins. <laughs> and many of the direct quotes we actually have included in today's episode came from the Book of Ganema. Yeah. Either the first part, if it was written from Ganema's autobiographical voice, or... The description of her as like a wiry Ron Weasley type character was from the second volume. And then Leto's thoughts on her passing were in the third volume. Or in the third volume. Yeah. These were some of the most personal writings, I would say. Like this is right. where Ganema wrote down her very angry diary entry about Irulan trying to yeah. seduce her 16-year-old son. This, I think, is such an important piece of work in universe right in the dune universe like if i was yes. a historian and i uncovered like the very personal writings of someone like ganema atreides and then realized like oh shit parts of this are written by her daughter and by the fucking god emperor leto like this is a hugely important historical work that gives us so much insight into 
even the mundane parts of Ganema's life, yeah. let alone the huge pivotal political parts of her as, as the empress, you know? Yeah, we also didn't even talk about it, but after her passing, you know, for thousands of years, she became legend. She became sort of, some people even doubted that someone like Ganema existed because they're like, what? The God Emperor had a twin? Right, right. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right. Jesus had a twin? Yeah, Jesus had a twin. I don't know this person. Right. But then you find first person accounts from the twin talking about daily life stuff. Yep. Fuck Irulan tried to seduce my kid. <laughs> yeah. I made a good breakfast this morning. It was delicious. Right. My right. legs kind of hurt. I might have walked too much yesterday. You know, you're like, wow, wait, holy shit. This is, she was real. Yeah. Wow. That changes everything. Definitely. <laughs> so you're right. Definitely. Historically significant is a is a very good way of putting it. Yeah, for sure. Now, the last thing we want to mention is kind of a fun one because yeah. it's not confirmed that Ganema Atreides wrote this, but it's very likely that she did. So this last work is called The Other Half of the Universe. And the encyclopedia tells us that this is a Shigawire voice print set in the early periods of Leto's empire and it is overtly critical of many of his actions, criticizing the god emperor of the universe. Shocking that it even survived this long. Yeah. But like the Book of Ganema, many historians at first assumed this is maybe Leto's own words. This is some sort of like sub subversive writing from Leto himself. But eventually, after comparing her other works, historians would go on to compare Ganema's voice patterns from her other works to this one. And now, a lot of people consider this a work by Ganema Atreides. Right. And this is interesting because Ganema being critical of Leto is not such an outlandish idea. Because we know from her memoir, at the end of her life, she was starting to sort of drift away from Leto as he lost his humanity. And yeah. she even writes, quote, so much death seems to be the center of his plans. Being a living God must change one, end quote. Yeah. She's watching this transformation happen, and she's clearly uncomfortable with many of the decisions Leto has to make Yeah. in order for the golden path to come true. So pretty bold of her to write this critical analysis of her brother, presumably while they're both alive. <laughs> but it is interesting. And I think it reveals, again, more depth to their relationship and to the choices that Leto's making and how Ganema felt about it throughout her life, and especially near the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you imagine also, like, Leto Atreides cultivated an era of bravura, right? And that sort of, it is important to have a sort of perceived unified stance. We are the the pharaonic, you know, couple. And... I don't recall any examples of the Pharaoh's wife, even just by like political wife being like, it's kind of shitty the way the Pharaoh's doing this, this, and this, like that's very out of character mm -hmm. in some ways, mm -hmm. in a way that just in my opinion, makes this all very bold. Yeah. But very definitely, cool. Definitely. All right. Well, that's Ganema Atreides. Yeah. Her life. We did it. Her legacy. So as we like to do, let's end today's episode on a question and today yep. rather than a serious question mm -hmm. we decided let's get a bit silly yeah 
let's try to figure out what the hell Irulan was up to when she was trying to seduce 16-year-old Trevor. So my question for you, Leo, yeah. is what techniques do you think Irulan Carino used in her attempts to seduce mm. Ganema's child? Okay. So I think she would take a page out of her sister Wincisia's book. Mm. I think she'd be like, listen, I heard about this foolproof plan. Couldn't fail. No way it could fail. I see. I'm going to get some laws of tigers. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, I know what you're thinking. One laws of tiger that could fail. That Seducing could a young man with a laws of tiger. Yeah. 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 I don't see how that could work. No, never. That's why two laws of tigers. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. She cracked the code folks. Wow. So I think she would, what she would do is she would get some, you know, remnants of the Sardaukars, cars and she would, she would train meticulously these two laws of tigers to seduce a young man, like wingman for her with a young man in a particular type of robe. And then she would gift that robe to Trevor and be like, here, wear this on Thursday out in the field. <laughs> and Gunima's like in the other room and she's like, what? What? Fuck. Hey, fuck you. Hey, <laughs> you know, and then throws hands. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because uh again, listen, two laws of tigers is a plan that cannot fail. Cannot fail. They are canonically great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Unfortunately for her, the plot failed because Trevor wasn't sexually interested in tigers. Right, 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 right. That's my idea. Love it. Honoring Wincisia. Yeah. Shouts to a real one. <laughs> Tiger woman. <laughs> Tiger queen. What about you? What? Do you, how do you think Tiger she uh, attempted to seduce young Trevor? Um, so I, I didn't get as elaborate as tigers. Uh, I, I think... A white man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, I think Irlan... I think you're correct that Irlan's brain is very much trying earnestly at something and completely and utterly missing the mark. Sure. Yeah. And so I think she like very earnestly got into this mm. and tried to woo Trevor. She tried to court him, you know? Mm. She made him baked goods. She sent him handwritten poetry. She she called him on the phone, believe it or not. Whoa. And wow. she she tried okay. to have face-to-face -face communications with him like very yeah. old-fashioned you know yeah, so yeah. very like no one's done this for centuries and i imagine trevor being the 16 year old gen z atreides that he is yeah was just instantly and utterly turned off by all of her advances yeah he was just kind of like yo why is my great stepmom writing me fucking poetry she's so chuggy She's so, so cringe. Chooky, so cringe. I think that's yeah. why this plan didn't work. If she had tried more modern tactics, if she had yeah, slid yeah, into yeah. his DMs, if she had kept that snap streak going with him, yeah, maybe oh, Trevor yeah. would have had some interest. Yeah, right. But she's out here like literally trying to call him. Ugh. Yeah, oh, God. Ugh. She's like, you're in my top eight on MySpace. He's like... Ugh. What? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? What is MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> Mom, Irulan is talking about old people shit again. <laughs> so anyway, that is my theory on why Irulan failed to seduce Trevor. I think she used the wrong tactics. 
and was too old-fashioned about it. You know, and thank God. Thank God that and didn't thank happen. Thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, for real. Oh, no, nobody you, needs to. Nobody needs for that to be happening. We're. I think we're all team Ganema here on how we feel about it. Hundred <laughs> percent. You are going senile. You're alone. Try the tigers. Indeed. Maybe the tigers would have worked. Yeah. Anyway, that's our episode. That's it. That's it. We've done it. We've talked about it all. We're going to wrap up with some final housekeeping. Shout out, Mapes. Been waiting patiently this whole time. Mm-hmm. We want to remind you of some ways you can support what we do here. If you like what we do. That's right. And the best way, as always, two Laza Tigers. No, become a patron <laughs> at patreon.com slash gomjabar. Uh, you get cool benefits like ad-free episodes, weekly blooper clips. We just, oh, Abu, just worked tirelessly for like two days <laughs> to schedule a bunch that patrons are going to be enjoying over the next couple of weeks. And of course, you'll get an invite to our exclusive Discord server where we chat and hang out and discuss the potential fact that the movie might be delayed and stuff like that. Mm. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. But it is very fun and it's lovely and our the support of our patrons makes what we do possible. And so if you are in a financial place to do so, please consider becoming a patron and helping us out. Patreon.com slash Gamjabar. That's right. And another great way to support us is to get yourself some Dune-themed merch mm-hmm. from our store at GamjabarShop.com. We've got art, apparel, mugs, dope bag, and so much more. So check it out. GamjabarShop.com. Get yourself something nice. Wear it out on a date or something. I want to point out, I texted a friend, I finally ordered one of the pint glasses I designed as merch, and I love it. And I sent a picture of the the pint glass right and he responded quote okay well now obviously i need a a full tarot deck that is gorgeous there we go so very good you love to hear it love to hear it anyway i've got two laza tigers over in the other room that i've been meticulously training for a very specific task Uh uh-huh uh i should probably go like attend to them yeah 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 I've been training. What's, what's the task, by the way? Giving five star ratings and convincing people to become patrons. <laughs> Hell yeah! It's kind of Hell complicated. Yeah. That's not a plan that could ever fail. No, Laza Tigers are very good at convincing podcast listeners. One Laza Tiger could see that failing. Yeah, that's a tough, tough plan. <laughs> it's a tough won't, plan. Won't, won't work. Yeah, that's why. And three is kind of expensive. Like three is really yeah. that's trying too hard. Man, totally. Kuchugi, it's cringe. <laughs> Two? <laughs> Two. Taste yeah. that sweet spot, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. At, at our first live show, we'll we'll have them there, the Lazy Tigers. <laughs> they they yeah. will be off leash, actually. Um just roaming the crowds. Ravenously hungry. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? Nothing. I've seen the documentary Tiger King. It's great. It's a great time. <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Kamjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.